0: More information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Yeah, it was interesting. We had to get one of the guys on our building team told said a while back that said I don't know exactly why God seems to work this way, but He always seems to stretch us and not just throw a bunch of money at us to make it super easy. And I think there's a reason. I think He wants us to trust Him. And depend upon him and count on him day in and day out. In fact, we're going to see that a little bit today in the passage we're going to look at. We are getting towards the end of our series in the book of Acts. And if you would turn to Acts chapter 27. And we're going to wrestle with an important question today. Is it reasonable for you and me to be confident in God in a world that sometimes looks chaotic? Chaotic. Uh, Is it reasonable for us to be confident in God? In Acts 27 up through the middle of chapter 28, we see Paul's journey to Rome and God has sent Paul to Rome. In fact, we saw last week that God promised Paul, Paul, I'm going to make sure that you get all the way to Rome, that in the midst of all the trials and things that you're facing, I'm going to deliver you to Rome and you can be confident that you're safe at least until you get to Rome uh, because you are going to preach the good news for me in that place Now, here's what's interesting. God promises he's going to get there, but he doesn't promise him it's gonna be an easy journey. And so Paul, in his journey, I think about the things that that happened to him. He's, He's beaten within an inch of his life. He's wrongfully accused and arrested. He travels as a prisoner for almost three years. He faces a horrifying storm at sea. He faces a shipwreck where he's lost in the waters of the ocean, has to swim ashore. And then when he gets out and just seems like things are maybe going to be stable again, he gets bitten by a venomous snake that jumps out of a fire and latches on his arm. Now, if you're Paul, you're going, okay, God, you sent me on this journey. But couldn't you have maybe made it a little bit easier? Like, where's the hyperspace button when you want it? Any of you grow up playing video games and you remember there was like that one uh, sort of button that you could push you just be like hyperspace like i just want to skip all this and jump to the end paul didn't get that paul got to wrestle in the midst of that and what you uh, what you see in the life of paul is that in this last third of the book of acts god is still very much in charge as he has been all through but paul's life doesn't look like god's in charge any of you feel like you've had a week like paul had like very few of us probably had a week that bad but maybe we face some trials, maybe we face some difficulties. If you're on the outside watching, it honestly looks like Paul is not blessed, but he's cursed, doesn't it? It looks like God is not fighting for Paul. It looks like God's fighting against Paul. Everything in his life seems to completely unravel. And yet Paul's voice is is filled with calm and confidence and conviction. Um, The question I think we have to ask is why? I think it's a good question for us to ask. Why can he be calm in the midst of the chaos? Why does this work itself out in Paul's life in a way that sometimes doesn't for us? And if we lean in and listen intently, I think to this story, God will show us something about where we find calm in the midst of our storms as well. Friends, what empowers a believer to be at peace when the world's headed towards a shipwreck? What is it that gives you a sense of confidence when the ship is going down around you. Well, let's lean into to, to Acts chapter 27 and let's see what we can learn. It begins this way. It says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on the ship of a miner Yeah, I practiced this once. Amritidium. <laughs> emrit, I can't even say that. Amram tidium." which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, um, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. Now you notice when it begins, it says, We. Uh, we set out for Italy, and so right away we know that uh, Luke was the author of the book of Acts, and so Luke is writing this, uh, this section, and Luke says, we, meaning I, went along with Paul, along with this other guy named Aristocris. And so you see that there's a group that's here on this journey, and right away at the very beginning we discover one of the things that gives us strength and gives us confidence whenever we face a storm in life, and that's the fellowship of God's people. In fact, we actually see that God starts this journey and gives Paul two groups of friends that surround him and encourage him along the way. He gives Luke and Aristocrats that go along the journey with him, but then he goes and they stop and they go through this port of a little place called Sidon. and there, when, the, when the ship stops there, uh, the, the Roman guards allow Paul to go off and he gathers with some other Christians in an order that it says he might be cared for. Now, any of you like to admit that you have needs, that you need, sometimes need someone else's help? Uh, we, we tend to live in a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do everything yourself uh, sort of a world. We, put, we live in a world that wants to look invincible, that doesn't like to admit that, man, I'm struggling and I have some needs right now. Paul was a bold apostle who was a leader of the early church, and yet in the midst of this, Paul is going to stop in order to go and meet with some other believers and to be cared for by others. Now, what what needs might Paul have had? It probably was not material. He had Luke and Aristocrats to care for those. He had the Roman guards, and he was on a ship full of cargo. He probably didn't need food to eat. He went to meet with these other believers, likely because he needed the spiritual, emotional, and relational encouragement of fellowship with other Christians. Friends, do you realize that you need Fellowship of other believers surrounding you to weather the storms of life and the, and the things that come your way in your journey? Uh, Paul needed it, and we do too. Uh, it's, uh, th- this event, it's interesting if you look at uh, 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 Paul, Luke and Aristarchus went with him all the way to Rome. Now, that's a pretty amazing display of friendship, isn't it? Think about this. Paul is a prisoner under Roman guard. He's going to go on a months-long journey And these two guys drop everything in their world and say, Paul, I'll just go with you. In fact, some people have questioned, said, well, why were Luke and Aristarchus even allowed to go on the ship along with Paul? And and the speculation is that maybe they had to pretend to be Paul's slaves in order to be allowed to accompany him, that Paul was a man of means, that they were his slaves and his servants. Uh, How many of you would do that for your friends, guys? Your friend's like, hey, would you come and go on this journey and just be my slave for several months and put your whole life on hold just to encourage me and walk with me along the way? It's a pretty remarkable display of friendship, isn't it? And God sent these two men to be an encouragement, to breathe life into Paul. As he began to face this trial, and he pulled him apart at a port and stopped him and gave him favor so that he could go and meet with this other group of believers that prayed for Paul and lifted him up and encouraged him. And don't you need friends like that? Friends, where do you turn? If you find friends that will walk with you and go with you into the weather of your uh, into the difficult storms of your life, treasure them, value them as a precious commodity. Well, let's keep moving. And we've got a map that I want to leave up, and I want to just show you some of where they've been. So right now, they they left on a little boat that was just meant to stay along the shore, not meant to brave the open seas. They went to Sidon. That's where Paul stepped off and was able to go meet with these other believers. Now they're going to jump on another ship and head further up the coast. And We're going to pick it up in verse 4. It says, And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Mara of Lycia. There a centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And we sailed slowly for a number of days, arriving with difficulty at Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee off Crete to Salmone. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So here on the map, you can see that they're doing the best they can to navigate these waters. They're in a smaller vessel, so they stay along the shoreline. They don't want to risk going out to the open sea. This boat wasn't intended for that. They worked their way up. You can tell they wanted to go this way, but because of the winds, they went up around Cyprus, came over. They came to this town of Myra, and there they're going to stop. And that day, you didn't just get online and be like, I need a ticket to Rome. And so they had to stop in a port. They stopped in Mira. And what would happen is you'd stop and you begin to walk from ship to ship and say, hey, dude, where are y'all going? And you'd look for a cargo ship that was going to the destination you wanted to go. And you say, can we hitch a ride? Or can we pay for a ride to get us there? And so they were looking for a larger vessel that would be able to take them all the way to Rome. And so in this story, what you see is they begin to, um, to switch boats and they are in this town called Fair Havens. And what we see in Fair Havens is they come around this area. They begin to, to, uh, to port here uh, because the weather begins to come up and they begin to have difficulty. Now, what we know about Fair Havens is the way that the bay was built, it was not a safe place for a ship to winter uh, through, the, through the next several months. And so they were not able to stay there and they began to worry about what was gonna happen. It was getting late in the year uh, in time when they were not supposed to be traveling. And so in verse nine, we pick it up. It says, since much time has passed, uh, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what, was, than what Paul said. Now there's an important detail that just sort of dropped in here. It says it was after the fast. The fast came at the day of atonement, which is a large Jewish ceremony or religious uh, ceremony that took place uh, amongst the Jews. And what They knew was that after the fast, you weren't supposed to get on a ship and brave the open waters, that the waters that winter was setting in, it was not a safe time to travel. And so anytime uh, that that ordinarily fell in late September, early October, and they considered it dangerous to begin to step out to sea around that time of year. And if you got to November, they considered it suicide to step out on the water. And so they're debating this and they're arguing about what's going on. And so Paul, this prisoner on the ship is kind of hollering from the back. He's like, so uh, guys, can I, can I have a word? I, I don't, this doesn't seem like a good idea. I think maybe we should just, we should just settle here for the winter. And uh, how do they treat Paul? Uh, they treat him like your kid screaming for the back of the minivan. That's like, dad, I think I know the way. Yeah, I think I know what's going on. And you're just kind of going like, dude, hush. Like, let us, let mom and dad figure out the trip. And so it says they ignore Paul. And they look to the pilot and they look to the owner of the ship and they decide what it is that they want to do. Friends, do you ever feel this way? Like you've got some wisdom to share and no one's interested in what it is that you have to say? That the whole world is looking to the experts and the money makers and they don't really care what the Christian says that the whole world looks and says, no, we've got people that know this and we have people that they're the money makers and they're the ones that have proven themselves over this. We need you just to kind of pipe down and keep to yourself. We'll go ahead and solve the problem. Now, interestingly enough, Paul actually had some experience with ships. Uh, Paul had, had a long history there. And even though he was an incredibly intelligent man, um, he, he also, he, he did actually have something to offer from experience. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, Three times I was shipwrecked, night and day I was adrift at sea. Uh, Think about this for Paul. Uh, Think about how how he might be just a little bit triggered as they're about to head out on dangerous waters. He's going, dude, three times I've been on ships that went down. One time I floated in the water for an entire day and an entire night, just hoping to be rescued. And so he's got something in his heart beating a little faster going, Guys, we don't need to do this. Don't risk it all. This is going to lead us in a dangerous place. He's very aware of the risks and the dangers that lie ahead. And yet he's not panicked, nor is he passive. Paul's being a leader, speaking up and trying to communicate them in order to help and fight for that which is good, and they ignore his advice. Verse 13, let's keep going. Verse 13, it says, Now, when the south wind blew gently, Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, and isn't life like that sometimes? That it just becomes, it feels a little bit easier, and you're like, oh, we got this now. You get a little bit of a south, a south, a south wind that blows, and you begin to start off, and everything seems, seems like it, it's all going to be great. It says, so they pulled anchor, and they sailed along Creek, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind, called a northeaster, struck down on the land And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it, and we were driven along out of control. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's lifeboat. After hoisting it up, we put supports underneath the ship to undergird it, and then, fearing that we would run aground on Syrtis, we lowered the gear and were driven along. Since we were violently tossed, storm tossed, the next day we began to jettison all the cargo, and the third day we threw over the ship's tackle overboard. So uh, with our own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days because of the storm and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. And do you feel the tension and anxiety coming on the ship? You just feel it begin to go. They start with a nice southerly breeze. All of a sudden the tempest shows up begins to rock the ship. The ship, They have to lower their sail because the wind's driving them so far off course. They're out of control and they can't do it. Then there begin to be fear and they begin to take on water. Why is it you start unloading your cargo? And if you're a businessman, your cargo's your moneymaker, but they're starting to dump cargo overboard. It's because those ship's taking on water. They're fearful for the life. So they begin to unload cargo. And then they began to unload their gear, which normally they would do at a port and they would have mechanisms that would allow them to do that. It says that they fought with their bare hands and threw cargo or threw their, their gear overboard in order to find a place of safety. So they would come along this place and they're trying to get out to sea in this little island or this little island called Kata. They come around it and they begin to get washed out. They're afraid of coming down to Sirtis, which is infamous for, uh, for, for shipwrecks and, and in a place that is known for having ter- uh, dangerous terrain that ships run aboard uh, and they become lost to the storm out at ocean. Uh, friends, uh, you notice what it says about them. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Uh, can I tell you something encouraging? Do you know that that's when Christians shine the most? Do you know that when, when all hope seems lost, to a watching world, that's when Christians shine. We are just one voice among the experts and influencers. We're often overlooked and ignored, but when everything hits the fan and hope is hard to find, people become uh, b- become a little more willing to listen to what Christians have to say because we've got a strength that goes beyond the circumstances and we've got certainty when everyone else feels uncertain. And that's what we begin to see with Paul. In verse 21, um, it says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me, not set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So men, Take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. And don't you love that picture? That just when everything seems to have been completely crazy, when they've lost all hope, it says Paul stood up among them and said, Take heart. and begins to speak words of encouragement to them. Uh, Friends, this is what we mean when we talk about being a life-giving presence in the middle of our city. This is why we want to live amongst the people. Paul is among them. It says that as he's living among these people and as he sees their panic and as he's sensitive to their needs and what's going on internally among them, that that right at that moment, in their midst, in the middle of the storm, that Paul stands up and he begins to speak words of truth and words of encouragement to people that desperately need to hear it. And friends, if they ignore us sometimes, if if they set us off, you know what we're called to do? We're called to do what Paul did. You know, Paul doesn't show up in about 20 verses of this chapter. He's just waiting and he's patient. But when the time is right, Paul stands up in their midst and speaks a word of encouragement because he sees the need that they have. Have you ever seen this to be true? That people who are often the biggest skeptics and doubters, that when their life comes totally unraveled, they don't mind it if you stop and pray for them? one of the things I've found that has been really interesting in life is that people that seem strong and they seem like they've got it all together, that if you just wait long enough, that something's gonna come their way where where all of a sudden they look up and they go, I don't know if I can do this. And you say, well, can I pray for you? And they go, yes, would you? Because the storms of life sometimes let us see something of our own need. I had this to be true in a story or an example of a relationship I had with someone I worked with Uh, Back when I was working in the business world, I had someone who went through a a dark trial and uh, she became pregnant and her husband wanted nothing to do with the baby and he left. And she had been this bold person who jokingly referred to herself as my resident pagan before uh, because she was so adamant against the faith and we had lots of questions about, uh, about things of faith and she wasn't interested at all. But when she faced this storm of having to raise a child and being abandoned, she came to me one day and she said, Jeff, I don't know if I can get through this. I think I need some help. And I was able to speak into her. I had another guy that I talked to one time and was able to tell him about things and he literally laughed at me and said, man, someone tried to sell me that in college. I'm really not interested. Seven months later, we're getting on an elevator and this buddy looks at me and says, hey, you got a minute? And he wanted to talk. Friends, sometimes people aren't interested in that which is true until they come face to face with their need. And with the fact that they can't handle all of life on their own. And God uses that storm to get their attention and open their ears to something new. It's interesting to me that Paul demonstrates genuine concern for them. He was aware of what's going on. He he saw their need. He knew what was happening. And right when he realized that they were without hope, he began to speak. They were without light. It says they were in darkness for days that, that the cloud cover blocked out the sun and blocked out the stars. And so they were walking in darkness. They were without direction. If you're on a ship and you have no uh, technology, you have no gear, you have no sun, you have no North star, you have no, no idea where to go. So they were without hope, without direction. They were without security. It says the tempest lay upon us. And what that literally means is the tempest was attacking us. I Meaning it felt personal. It felt like someone had sent the storm to personally attack them. Do you ever feel that way? When you're facing a trial, like it feels like someone's seeking me out to do me harm. That's how they felt. So they were without security. And it was right in that moment that Paul stood up and said, take heart. The God to whom I belong and the God that I worship has given me a message for exactly this moment. Friends, Paul's going to give them good news. And God, because God had given Paul good news. And this so often is the pattern that we see that happens. In fact, in Paul's life, we see this two other times. It's fascinating as you walk through the book of Acts, as Paul's life begins to become more chaotic, God seems to become more present with encouragement directly to Paul. And in Acts 18 and Acts 23, we see this. In Acts 18, he says that God says directly to Paul, do not be afraid, but go on preaching and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Again, later in Acts 23, it says the, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so also you will preach about me in Rome. Words of encouragement. said, Paul, I know you feel afraid, but be strong and be calm because, and be confident because I'm going to take care of you. Friends, is that, is that encouraging for you to know that about your, about your God? That when you're in the midst of trials and struggles and storms, that he sees you, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he's going to walk with you, and he stands by your side as he did Paul, and he's going to encourage you. Friend, is your life encouraged through friendship with God, like Paul's was? Is your life encouraged through trust in God's word? Now, you may not have a direct visitation like Paul did, uh, but, God, but you always have God's ear, to listen to your prayers. You always have God's word uh, to encourage your heart. And you always have God's spirit to make that word, that word sink deep within your soul. Uh, you can run to the Lord at any time. And this is actually the most important theme that we're gonna talk about today in this whole passage is that you can count on God to keep his word. Paul says, uh, speaks in verse 23, he says, the God to whom I belong. You realize that's covenant language. That's language of relationship. And what Paul's saying is that, or what we're to understand is that Paul's message saves because it's a message from Paul's God. And so Paul says, this is the God to whom I belong. We see in the scriptures that God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Uh, Scriptures, uh, we write these songs it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. God loves his people and he cares for you. And he's in a covenant relationship with you. And because of that, you can count on him. This is the gospel. That God, by his grace, took those who were far away and brought them near. That God took those who had run away from him and he called them sons and daughters to come home. And in his mercy, he receives us not as enemies, but he receives us as friends. That's the gospel or the good news. Friends, do you belong to this God? Do you belong to a God who loves you enough to reassure you in the midst of your storms. You belong to this God who always keeps his word, who understands your needs, and this God who sent his son to suffer as one of us who walked this earth as we do. You realize Christianity is the only religion with a God who himself chose to sacrifice his life in order to redeem his own subjects. Uh, Christianity is remarkable in that sense. And this is why Paul, Paul is so calm is because he's confident in his relationship with the Lord. He's not fearful that when his circumstances seem to be chaotic, he's not fearful, uh, but he's confident in his relationship with God. And so in verse 25, he says, So, he says, people, take heart. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as God said it was going to. I know that God's going to keep his word and we can trust him. Friends, this is the pattern of Christians in the world. Uh, we're We're to be like Paul. Uh, we see this pattern throughout all of scripture that God speaks truth to his people and his people are present among, pagans, present among pagans and then his people speak truth for the good of others. And those that heed the warning, who listen and follow the message will experience deliverance. And so on the middle of this ship that's facing devastation, it says they've all lost hope. This is a powerful moment. Uh, but you also know that they haven't yet arrived, Right? Uh, did you notice the very last sentence in Paul's speech? I mean, Paul gave this really encouraging speech. Take heart, God's gonna do all this thing. And then how does he end it? Do you see the last line? But the ship's gonna go down. Like, but we're gonna have to run this whole thing aground um, and on some island. I wondered if he muttered that part under his breath where he's like, take heart, God's got this, but we are gonna have to crash still, right? I mean, you think about how like, that's, that's encouraging. Do you ever feel like that in your own spiritual life? Where God's like, I got this. I'm going to deliver you through. And then you go, but why is it so hard? Why can't we just hyperspace and skip all the hard stuff? And what's God say? Trust me. Trust me in the midst of the storm. Paul is going to speak into them and encourage them. Verse 27 says, when the 14th night had come, as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. They took a sounding and found it at 20 fathoms. A little further, they took a sounding and found it at 15 fathoms. In fearing that we might run, around, run upon the rocks, they let down four anchors at the stern and prayed for day to come. And so where we are in the ship, if we go back to that, uh, that map real quick. we get that, I'll show you where we are. I'll just jump in here and then we'll come back to that. So as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boats into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So if you look at where they are, they had set out upon this, they were lost. They were trying to find their way over. As they get closer, it says they're sounding. So they're uh, putting out sounds to hear where it is. And it begins at a hundred feet, then it's at 80 feet and it's at 60 feet. So they know they're about to run ashore and ground. And, uh, and so whenever, what happens when a boat runs at full speed aground? Well, it's gonna break up, right? And so they're fearful of this and what happens? Some of the soldiers who didn't trust Paul's message what is it they try to do? Well, they sneak over on the side and they're like, hey, we're just gonna play with the anchors over here. And what they're actually doing is trying to let down the lifeboat. Uh, anyone seen the Titanic? That's exactly what's happening right now. As these guys are fighting over the lifeboat, they're like, you know, forget about the prisoners, the women and children. I want on the lifeboat and I'm gonna get down and let you guys run aground and you can trust Paul if you want to, but we are gonna trust ourselves and our own way of escape. And this is what's interesting. Some of the men didn't believe Paul and they tried to escape on their own. Do you realize that they had to decide where it was they were gonna put their trust? We all have to do the same, don't we? We have to decide, are we gonna trust God's way or are we gonna go our own way? Paul says that you'll only be saved if you trust the Lord's way. And so what did the captain of the ship do? He cut the ropes of the lifeboat and let it go. No one on it. And he says, nope, we're all going into the ship. We're all going to trust what Paul said to be true. They had to face the storms without a lifeboat. Friends, I love this image. Will they place their faith in God or will they place their faith in a little lifeboat? You realize that in our lives that we often hold on to little lifeboats that we think can save us? That that, that we want to trust God on one hand, but there's also these little lifeboats that just in case, that, that we that we seem to hold on to and... And we imagine that this little lifeboat safer and more secure than trusting God to carry us through the midst of the storm, through the midst of a shipwreck. I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe it's the comfort of your finances. Maybe it's the security of your job. Maybe it's the safety of your home. It's interesting, I had two ladies tell me in the last couple months that they've gone through a trial in their life, and financially they went through situations where they actually had to lose their home. They had to sell it and move to a different home And they talked about how it was this deep earthquake that rattled their soul because of stuff that had happened in their childhood and their upbringing and everything else that they had learned to find security in in, in the brick and mortar of their house. And when they lost it, they realized this was a little lifeboat that I was counting on to save me. And I'm going to have to let go of this and cut the ropes to it and trust God completely. And it began to rattle them. Now, maybe it's not safety and security for you. Maybe you see the lifeboat as just a way of escaping the pressure of the storm to find a better and freer life. And so maybe you're running after uh, one show that you can stream after another as a distraction from the storm. Maybe you're taking another drink in in order to uh, medicate from the storm. Or maybe you're enjoying another sexual escapade or seeking another vacation or experience or high-risk endeavor in order to just distract you from the storm and the shipwreck that's coming of your life because it makes you feel in control. You realize that storms, they shake us to the core and what they do is they surface what's on the inside and allow us to see where our hope really is. And sometimes they show us and reveal that we're looking to little lifeboats that can't really save us. But there's also an opportunity in a storm to recalibrate your soul and shift it to learn to trust in the Lord in a deeper level. Friends, storms are not God against you. Storms don't mean that God has abandoned you. Storms are not God punishing you, but rather storms are God with you, helping you learn to trust him in the midst of the journey. But they can be used for good and they can be used to shape godliness in us. Did you notice that Paul gave them a cho- or, 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 or command here? He says uh, that, that you're going to lose everything except your life. Friends, isn't that the Christian message? that we are all headed towards a final shipwreck where everything's going to end and you're going to let go of everything else. You can't take anything else with you. But if you look to the Lord, he'll save you and deliver you from, uh, from the great trial that is to come. And as we walk through life, uh, I'll tell you, as you get older, the soundings get closer and closer. Like they, they were dropping anchor. They were hearing the soundings. It was like 100 feet, 80 feet, 60 feet. You know what happens is you get to be 40 and 50 and 60. You know you're you're closer to the end and you aren't going to be able to take anything with you and your little lifeboats aren't going to be enough. You better cast your hopes upon the God that is worthy of your worship. It's interesting Clint Eastwood was interviewed after a film uh, Gran Torino that he was making and uh, dealt a lot with faith and death and questions of life and someone asked him they said look you never used to wrestle these questions in your earlier films why do you wrestle with these questions now and he said something along the lines of well uh, when you're 90 these are questions you begin to ask because the soundings are closer for him Uh, friends you will never have true calm and confidence in this in in this world until you learn to love God to rely upon God to depend upon God and everything and they began to listen to Paul now it's fascinating. Verses thirty-three to thirty-six. what's Paul say? Uh, he's going to now care for the practical needs, and he stops, and he and it says uh, that as the day was about to dawn, he dawn he urged them to take some food, and, and says that um, therefore I urge you to take on some food, for it will give you strength, and not a hair from your head is going to perish from the uh, not a hair it will, yeah, not a hair will perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, this is Paul took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and he began to eat. To eat, And they were all encouraged and ate some food. I mean, I love this image. Paul was a life-giving presence. Uh, do you recognize any of that language? It's the language of communion. When Jesus met with his disciples at the Last Supper, it says that Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Uh, we don't know for sure that this is Paul sharing communion with the entire boat. Some people have speculated that everyone actually had come to Christ and Paul's sharing a communion meal with them. I don't know that that's true, but what I do think is true is Paul saw this as a sacred moment where the bread of life, Jesus was standing by their side in the midst of the storm. And he says, I'm going to go through the motions of reminding you and inviting you to celebrate in this sacred moment. And so he takes the bread and he gave thanks to God, blessing it. And he broke it and he began to eat. Friends, do you realize that's what we do when we take communion every week? We're doing exactly what Paul did. We gather everyone on the ship of life that will listen and we stand up in their midst and we say, friends, take heart. The God that I worship and the God to whom I belong has given us a word of encouragement and it will be exactly as he says it will. And so we take the bread and we break it and we bless it and we share it together as a meal, as a reminder that God carries us through the storm and he will carry us through every shipwreck to come. Is that good news for us? Is that a good reminder that we want to lean into week after week? Now, what happens with Paul? It says they go and the ship crashes and those that can swim jump off and begin to swim, those that can't grab hold of planks and they float all the way to shore, but not one of them was lost. Every one of them was saved. God's word was true. And it gives us a great picture of an even greater reality that God saves those whom he promises to save. Paul eventually is going to get to Rome and says he thanked God and took courage. Don't you think he would? Um, I I love this story and I love everything it says. Friends, how do we apply this? You realize that our journey is a lot like Paul's. Sometimes we start off and there's gentle southerly breezes, but then it always gets harder and messier than we realize, than we're ready for. And in the midst of that, we have to trust that God... Will see us through every time you know what jesus said to the disciples before he left i go to prepare a place for you and if it were not true i would have told you so for as jesus has gone ahead of us and he awaits us and he's preparing a place and he promises that he will take us home and he will not lose one you realize that one day you will look back at the end of your story god says that he works all things together for good It doesn't mean that all things are good, but that he takes all things and he works them together to bring about our good. And one day he will deliver us home and you will see your story. It's interesting that here we can look and we can see the end of Paul's story and we know how it ends. So we kind of relax and rest, right? We see the end of Jesus' story in the gospels and we can rest and relax because we know that though he faced a trial and the great shipwreck of the cross, that he was delivered through the cross in the resurrection and he was lifted up. Friends, one day you will be able to look back and you'll see your story and you'll see how God worked everything out and he brings about your deliverance as well. But until then, we wait and we trust and we depend upon him. I love Psalm 62. It says this, for God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. I'm not trusting any other little lifeboats. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken on. God alone rests my salvation and my glory. He's my mighty rock. My refuge is God. And then it says to the people, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Friends, let's look to him. Let's trust him. That's how we we live as a non-anxious present in a stormy world. You trust Christ. You walk in the midst of the people among them. And when the storms come, you stand up and you say, Friends, take heart. The God to whom I belong, the God that I worship, He will deliver us. And I know and I have faith that He will do everything He promised to do. And then we trust. And we pray for us. Father, your word says that if you are for us, nothing can stand against us. Would you give us confidence that it is true? Father, I pray for everyone here that might be in a storm right now. Father, by your spirit, would you just give calm? Would you just give confidence? Would you give them a deep conviction as you gave Paul? Would you meet with them right now as you met with Paul to breathe life into their heart and confidence that you will deliver them through every storm and every shipwreck? Father, for their good, for your glory. And for the shaping of of godly character in each of us. Father, help us to trust you to wait as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.